1500. Lieutenant Watley. You realize, of course, she was just using you to get to me. Watley? That was my great-grandmother's name. Funny. And I think she was in Starfleet. Well, that's a common enough name. But what if that was her? Oh, do you realize the odds? No one ever met my great-grandfather. This could be a predestination paradox. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton telling the holodeck pause so I can go around and kiss people on the holodeck as one of these characters did in a uh, episode we'll talk about very soon. <laughs> and we're here this week to really celebrate the Star Trek Sidequel Showcase, where we're going to look, we did this in the past, sort of, where we looked at potential spin-offs, but we're going to look at Sidequels and some of the ones that have existed and some of the ones that we think would be fun to pitch. Okay, but I think it's important to define what, like, a Sidequel is, and I think, um, you know, maybe distill it down to maybe uh, the same adventure that we've known in the past, but maybe from a different perspective or a different setting or, or different character. So maybe kind of the quintessential side quill we can talk about uh, is maybe Trials and Tribulations. Do you think that's the best example of a Star Trek side quill camp? I have to imagine that's the best received one. Uh, I think it's regarded as like one of the uh, top rated Star Trek episodes on uh, most lists. And it's the one that is the most flashy and attention grabbing. It's interesting because if you look at the genesis of this one, it was, they were talking, the writers at Deep Space Nine, they were talking a lot about maybe an episode like Piece of the Action, you know, the gangster planets, and which that planet came to be because they found a book about gangsters, and so they just tried to emulate them. And so then after Kirk and Spock left that planet, the idea that the Deep Space Nine writers had in mind was, well, what if they start trying to emulate Kirk and Spock after that? And, you know, 100 years later or so, the Deep Space Nine crew returns to that planet and everybody's wearing Star Trek uniforms. Everybody is looking like either Kirk or Spock. And ultimately, they wanted it to be kind of commentary on Star Trek fandom. And these are all fans that are writing for the show. I don't think it was going to be mean towards the... Uh, it wasn't going to be like an SNL sketch, William Shatner, get a life sort of dealio. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I still kind of wish we could get something like that in the future. Well, there was an episode sort of similar in um, Lower Deck Season 3 as well, but it just didn't quite land the same way that I think the pitch did that um, they, they were talking about before the writers landed on Trials and Tribulations. Oh, I was thinking of the Prodigy episode, All the World's the Stage, where they went to like the Star Trek fan planet and they had everything just slightly wrong. That was the one that I thought was the... Uh, basically kind of that concept realized i am mixing up my animated series cam ah. yes of course that's the one yeah like that was a really fun like kind of approach to that material because i definitely had that one written in my notes then i was like well i guess they kind of did that that said i do think there is plenty of room to do other things with the ioceans uh when you have a species that is incredibly malleable based on um basically contamination from an outside culture coming in it just seems like, why have we not kind of tackled that species every, say, generation of Star Trek? Like, send the TNG crew there. Send the Discovery crew there. Just have all <laughs> different things each time that could be kind of these ripple effects of previous crews. Okay, so they haven't visited since Kirk and company. Let's say we landed on the planets. And let's say, well, it's not necessarily they're trying to emulate Kirk and Spock. But what other kind of cultural contaminations maybe have made their way over there in the last, you know, um, 57, 58 years or so that could be kind of fun to kind of tackle in this era. Mm. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking initially of the crew, you know, our Enterprise crew who landed. I feel like uh, Kirk may have left a book about horses behind. <laughs> that okay. seems uh, pretty up the uh, up the alley for Kirk there, what he would be, at least William Shatner would leave a book about horses. 
Um, so everyone is trying to like pretend to like ride a horse, but they don't actually have horses. So it, it's like you know when you're a kid and you're pretending to ride a horse on uh, it's like an air horse. Everybody's just traveling that way. Sure, or it's like Monty Python <laughs> where they're making the coconut sounds, or yeah, yeah. Uh, conversely that classic classic Halloween costume where it's like the front of the horse and the back of the horse. <laughs> Okay, so each person has to partner up, and the uh, big Star Trek dilemma that they have to deal with is, you know, um, there, there's a class of people that don't ever get to partner up, uh, and, and so, you know, they, they don't even get to be the rump of the horse. <laughs> That's what they call the Iotian marriage, is you become the horse. <laughs> you become the horse. We be- become one with the horse. Okay. Exactly. I like yeah. that. Um, but Cam, <laughs> going back to trials and tribulations, you know... Why is this, you know, beyond just kind of the spectacular special effects and visual effects that were going on back in the day, just a few short years after Forrest Gump, you know, they're using those similar techniques, you know, beyond that, which I think we can all say still holds up today. um, What was the appeal uh, of an episode? I I think like the most successful sidequel episode in all of Star Trek. I think what this one did that was so clever was that it didn't just drop us into the events of the Trouble with Tribbles and make us just relive those events. Like, it kind of seemed to take some inspiration from Back to the Future 2, where it's like, those events are taking place, but they're creating a new story that maps on top of that. So the idea of this bomb that's been planted that, you know, Cisco and Dax and crew have to find, that is not at all related to the original series episode. So it is telling an entirely new story, just placing you in a new context to examine the events from before. And I think that's the best way to do it because I think otherwise you just run the risk of literally just essentially watching the original story happen again as your characters passively sit there and observe it. And I'll just say this, the nostalgia factor works though. You know, if you see those folks wearing those like vintage uniforms and honestly like the 1960s fashion 1960s haircuts they hold up a whole lot better than the 70s 80s 90s do Hmm. as well and (laughs) so it's just like wonderful like being in that atmosphere once again and just even commentary about um you know cisco saying like yeah kirk had a reputation as a ladies man and dax is like i was talking about spock yeah. You know, this is a fun, light, whimsical episode. Uh, Bashir gets a little weird in the turbo lift, debating whether he should sleep with uh, a woman who might be his grandmother. <laughs> um, thankfully, uh, he still you know, exists in the 24th century when we return back through the uh, the orb of time. But I don't know. This to me is such a comfort food episode of Star Trek as well. Oh, yeah. This is one of the most fun episodes that ever existed, which is really saying something given the amount of technical work this would have taken like the fact it feels light and bouncy when i am sure the production was anything but is a real testament to just the filmmaking going on on this one and the vision they had for it because this was one you would have to like map out piece by piece by piece and i love how spontaneous the comedy feels through the episode when there's no way this was spontaneous i it was really cool a couple years ago at uh, the Las Vegas Star Trek convention where they had a panel devoted to that. And I think it was the Okudas, um, the uh, behind the scenes folks uh, came out and they're explaining the scene in which Dax is on the bridge and they have to insert Kirk into that scene. And, and they're pointing out the fact that this is a six foot tall woman on heels with a mm. beehive haircut. And it essentially made her into like at a seven and a half tall woman and trying to just squeeze her into the frame to get her there and they're just talking about how terry farrell just had to really hunch over the console the entire time as she's waving her tricorder it was to me that just made me admire what they were able to accomplish on kind of that tv budget uh, back in the time although they did kind of blow their budget for much of this the rest of the season after that Oh, yeah, this was very, very expensive. And that was a fantastic panel. I wish they would do more of those in Las Vegas. I do remember we did have one, though, dedicated to, like, the making of the Outrageous Okona, which was also so crazy that I wish they would do things like that again as well. I, I'm down for all the behind-the-scenes sort of stuff there. Um, Kim, why don't we go from one side of the pendulum of the greatest to, I would say, the all-time worst uh, side cool mm. episode, which is uh, These Are the Voyages, uh, the series finale of <laughs> Star Trek Enterprise. I was alluding to that earlier because, of course, there's that really creepy scene in which uh, we know that this episode kind of takes place during the period of Pegasus from TNG, featuring one Riker, Troy, and we even get a voice cameo from one Commander Data. 
and it's documenting what's going on in the last mission of the NX-01 crew. And of course, Riker, he's, you know, there on the ship and he's pretending to be the chef and he hits the pause button so he can kiss to Paul while she's frozen, <laughs> Cam. Uh, this just adds to like just what a terrible, terrible this episode, uh, episode this was because, A, you've got uh, other things just totally going wrong for a here. A, this episode's not even focused on the Annex 01 crew. It's focused on Riker's journey, and then to a lesser extent, you know, these uh, nice appearances from Troy as well. Um, B, the story that is focused on the Annex 01 crew, um, it's because Shran has become a jewel thief in the intervening <laughs> five years, and they have to save his daughter, who we've never met before. So we're not invested in these stakes at all. And then, of course, we get the very capricious, untimely demise of one trip tucker here which uh, did not endear fans to this episode this this, this is an episode uh, of failure just on all sorts of different levels the one thing i'll give it though is the hug between archer and t'pol at the very end it felt earned and that's what i like from star trek is when those emotional beats feel earned yeah um if this had been in, like a installment of a fast and furious franchise they wouldn't even bother with the dramatic music for that trip death that's how, like, completely thrown up just to the side it is. It's so uninteresting, and it's space pirates, for God's sakes. But, I mean, this one, to me, actually kind of supports what I was saying about um, Trials and Tribulations, where the reason Trials and Tribulations works is because your core characters who are experiencing this story have an active thing to be doing throughout that story. Riker doesn't. He is literally just standing there watching all of this take place. And so you are basically experiencing Riker watching a movie, which is not interesting. And also, the central, I guess, driving force of this episode is Riker coming to a decision regarding the Pegasus. That is all information that has to be, you know, viewed within the context of the Pegasus to give you any resolution to the story they're telling within this episode. So this episode doesn't even stand on its own as having any sort of like emotional core to it. It's entirely Riker watching a movie about the final mission of Enterprise, which I like to think was a heavily fictionalized film. Yes, Cam, it was just a movie. And I, I, I need to ask you this, like, okay, as much as this is kind of a terrible episode, I'm very tempted. If, if there's like a fan edit out there mm. in which they kind of insert scenes of the Pegasus with what's going on here, like use both episodes to turn into some like 90 minute sort of mini movie. As you said, it might be a movie, but it might not be a good one here. Yeah, that would be actually a really interesting experiment. Someone must have done this, right? Like, I, I wonder if it would actually be not bad because you would be removing so much of like all the weight of this episode really falls on all the dramatic elements that are happening within our Enterprise, and this story kind of stinks, but if you had all the really great drama of the Pegasus, it would be a very mixed bag, but you'd have a lot of good stuff in there. It would definitely take away from the momentum of the Pegasus uh, parts of the episode, you know, uh, and I mean that the stuff that was filmed in, like, 1993, but mm. um, it's, you know, it would definitely improve These Are the Voyages. It would definitely um uh, way down pegasus but the other thing that would be fun to watch though is how um troy and riker would look different uh, depending <laughs> on what scene it was even marina sir says like yeah uh there that wig that i was wearing did not exist so uh that's why like my hair looks different and i like that would have been fun to just kind of view like scene to scene how <laughs> See, it would seem as if Troy's just going to the uh, Mott's, uh, Mott the Barber, like, uh, <laughs> every few minutes on that episode. Like, that would be intriguing. And I'd say that uh, even Jonathan Frakes would admit that he had aged in the intervening 12 years that uh, uh, between Pegasus and uh, uh, These Are the Voyages. When we are talking about side cools, to me it makes a lot of sense for the DS9 crew to go and you know, visit the events of the Trouble with Tribbles. People know the Trouble with Tribbles. It's an iconic story. Um, what do you make of the decision to set these are the voyages during the Pegasus? Pegasus, great episode, but like, is it a story that like fans immediately are locked in the second you are like, he's joining during the events of the Pegasus? I don't think it was... I, I Like, I, I think we're comparing apples and oranges here, though. You know, like... Mm. Uh, 
this is more, I think, if anything, kind of a, a convenient Easter egg that not all people would recognize, uh, you know, about the events of the Pegasus. It sure. was just meant to be kind of a tool, convenient tool, because it could have been any other episode where Riker has a dilemma, like like some sort of choice weighing on his conscience. And it, it, they could have picked any, you know, Riker-heavy episode. It, it could have been um, Chain of Command Part 2, and he has to decide whether or not he's going to um, fly that shuttle for Jellicoe after uh, Jellicoe is being such a jerk, you know? It, it could have been like, you know, you know, Riker has just kind of uh, was removed as first officer um, during Chain of Command 2. Maybe it took place during that period. So I, I'm i not going to judge it too harshly based on the fact that they chose to use the Pegasus uh, as this jumping-off point. Sure. I think I'd like to just imagine it's set during Future Imperfect, and it's all, like, them manipulating and confusing Riker in this moment. Okay. Uh, Cam, I want to jump over to more of a, a secret side quill, or, like, one that people might not usually think of as a side quill, and that is a Deep Space Nine's series premiere, Emissary, yep. in which the teaser essentially takes place uh, through the events of uh, Wolf... Th- 359 the battle of wolf 359 but instead of it taking place from the perspective of the enterprise d and watch uh, they fly over and find all the um uh, <laughs> uh not rubble what am i looking at what's the word i'm looking for there debris all the debris from those starships uh that were uh, blown away by the board cube sliced in half uh it's interesting you're seeing it from the starfleet perspective it still boggles my mind that they wouldn't drop all the civilians off in um, escape pods and <laughs> shuttles before the board cube arrived. They, they, they wouldn't do it after. But I guess, in all fairness, the, the Enterprise D was still going uh, head-to-head with the board cube, even with civilians aboard them, uh, aboard uh, the saucer section there. So I'll, I'll give it a pass. But, um, you know, all I can say is this is a very, very, very effective sequence. This, you are taking an iconic monumental event and showing the side of the action that we never saw before i think also just for budgetary reasons that they would not have been able to do that uh, for like an episode tng Mm -hmm. they'll spend that budget to grip people at the very beginning of deep space nine for this iconic moment from tng just a few years earlier yeah i thought always thought this was a great idea because it is taking an event that fans really know a lot about but never really got a great understanding as to what actually was going on during that specific moment. And to use that as a launch to DS9, I think was very smart because DS9, Emissary is a kind of a weird episode. You are asking viewers to kind of accept a lot. There's a lot of, you know, Kai Opaka, a lot of Prophets stuff, a lot of Cisco talking about baseball. So to kind of ground that story in something that they are really interested in and have a real awareness of is just really smart. And Wolf 359 is a great, like, kind of um, kind of match to start off the Cisco character, where you understand that this is a very significant part of kind of the damage that he's bringing uh, to DS9. Every character who kind of joins that show has some sort of baggage they're carrying, and that's where his comes from. It does not overwhelm the show, and I think that's very smart that you don't have Cisco over the course of seven seasons constantly talking about the Battle of Wolf 59, but as a way to launch this kind of like challenging, kind of outside the box spin-off, I think that's a really smart way to do it. And one I remember people talking about uh, at school the day after this aired. I don't know that they were necessarily into the entire two hours, you know, as a whole, but all the Wolf 359 stuff and Picard stuff really grabbed them. So I'm going to jump over to more of a middle-of-the-road cycle cam. I-, I think you're a bigger fan of this one than I am. But, uh, you know, instead of, say, time travel or flashbacks, uh, uh, well, in <laughs> flashback, <laughs> it- it's a mind virus here that uh, infects uh, Tuvok. And we go back to his time of serving aboard the uh, uh, the Excelsior under the command of one uh, Captain Sulu here. Um this one kind of felt like a letdown for me for two big reasons. Uh, one, um, we didn't get that much time aboard the Enterprise, uh, or I should say aboard the Excelsior. Uh, we spent a lot of time <laughs> watching children hang off cliffs. <laughs> and um, honestly, this episode aired the exact same week that Trials and Tribulations did. Yeah. And it did not match. It did not come close to matching when they were trying to honor the 30th anniversary of the original series. Now, you were 
you know, following the online conversation at the time, was there like a real kind of, uh, I guess, maybe somewhat overly negative response to this one just because of the fact it aired after Trials and Tribulations? Not overly negative, but people okay. just felt underwhelmed, um, um, very, very underwhelmed. Right. Uh, this one, to me, what I enjoy about it is there's just this glimpse at the Excelsior, because we really spent next to no time there in Star Trek VI. And just to get a little bit of a sense of, of uh, Sulu as a captain, Janice Rand playing a significant role in the episode, and the idea of Tuvok being a crew member there and seeing the dynamic he has with the two of them, that's kind of my enjoyment I get out of it. In terms of the plot-based issue they have to solve, I can't say that like I'm in love with Flashback. To me, it's more of just a fun to learn a little bit more about that tiny little pocket of the universe. I'm just disappointed we did not get to see a demoted Commander Styles uh, serving as maybe Ugh. the first officer uh, with a riding crop and everything. Was this episode just like a missed opportunity to maybe work in a little more Star Trek canon fun? Because, you know, Trials and Tribulations really has some pretty um, amazing stuff. Like Arn Darvin is like a significant part of the episode. This one to me... Yes, you have Rand. Yes, you have Sulu. But, like, should they have worked in a little more fun fan service stuff? I think had they read the script to Trials and they mm. knew what their uh, Deep Space Nine compatriots were up to, I think they would have tried to have been a little bit more innovative. Uh, just even in the writing of the script. Like, as you say, Cam, like maybe inserting uh, some something just a little flashier, you know? Um just uh, the, the adventures of the undiscovered country, you know, it feels as if like Sulu could have been up to so much more visiting outposts uh, in an effort to get uh, Jim and McCoy free, you know, and it just it just didn't work out that way. Maybe even like a cameo on the view screen, like you're not going to get, uh, you know, probably one of the upper tiers, but like what about Walter Koenig even or... You know, something like that that just kind of feels like a fun bit of connective tissue for those characters. Well, would have given them the uh, chance to have Nichelle Nichols on mm, yeah. the view screen, and she it, it just it, it bums me out. She was the only original series character that never appeared beyond the original series movies. You know, we got you know we had Scotty and Chekhov in Generations, um, Scotty and Relics. We know that uh, Kirk appeared in uh, Generations as well. You know, Spock's been all over the place. You know, like everybody from the core crew has, except for one, Uhura. It's actually kind of embarrassing in retrospect that they didn't work her into the start of Generations. And they obviously initially wanted to have, you know, Bones and Spock there with Kirk, but that wasn't going to happen. And to me, it just would have made so much more sense to have, you know, keep either Scotty or Chekhov. It's probably going to be Scotty, uh, but have uhura there as well i think that just makes more sense in terms of like selling an exciting cameo to an audience at that time oh yes i remember like i was in theaters watching it and i obviously know who like scotty is but i had no clue who Chekhov was supposed to be at that point in my star trek journey yeah like Chekhov, when you watch the original series he has a lot to do in seasons two and three so you kind of i think get a better grasp on him. But I remember watching all of those original movies as a kid. Uh, so I had seen them all. And then, I don't know, when I, I see this, you know, in Generations, it's like, I have a better sense of him now. But at the time, having just seen the movies, he really did not mean much to me coming out of the films. I remembered way more about Ahura. And she has probably less to do. But when you've got some, like, kind of notable things, like the fan dance, it sticks with you. Cam, I mean, I literally did not know who Chekhov was. This is the uh, first Star Trek film I had ever seen, except for a couple scenes of the motion picture that was airing on TV in the late 1980s. Yeah. And I had seen, like, uh, bits of the original series here or there, but when this fella was on screen with Scotty, it meant nothing to me. And after that, I think I had an aunt uh, for my birthday, she gave me a used copy of The Undiscovered Country on VHS. It was the director's cut. Mm. And I think that was, for a long time, my most viewed um, Star Trek movie that I'd ever seen. But I, again, like um, it just 
I had just no familiarity with the character at the time. So it didn't hit me coming into it as a, you know, a solely like a TNG fan at that time. Yeah. And when you watch those original movies, because to me, I would have seen not the first one. I didn't come to that one till later due to the advice of friends at the time. Uh, But I watched two through six and then watched Generations. But like when it came as a kid to those films like Spock, Bones and McCoy, just immediately my friends and I, we all knew about those characters and cared about them at that point. Scotty was someone, everyone did Scotty impressions. So it's like, even though he doesn't do a lot in those films, just like the Scotty impression really was popular with us as kids. So he was like, he made a lot of sense to us in Generations. Uhura we all knew as well. But like when it came to um, both Sulu and Chekhov, they're a little more utilitarian in those films. Like they kind of fill these roles, but they don't have, you know, like big scenes or like fun stuff for like, how old would I have been? Probably about 10, 11, 12. Like there was nothing for me to grab onto with those characters really until I watched the original series. I mean, I would have recognized uh, Sulu and Uhura and company. It's just, I'm, I'm saying I literally did not know who Chekhov was. Yeah. Um, okay, so Cam, he, this one's a bit of a another secret sequel that I don't think gets enough credit as being one. But um, uh, all good things, uh, delivering a secret sequel to Encounter at Farpoint, in which Q is sending Picard back to the initial mission of the Enterprise-D. And um, the crew thinks Picard's crazy, which is kind of fun to see. But it was just majestic to see kind of that first shot of the Enterprise in dry dock or space dock there. And Picard being so startled at the sight of Tasha Yar. Like that hits. Um, we also have moments where he's like, everybody get to battle stations, red alert. And everyone's looking at each other. And he's like, this is not a drill. Um where are you, Q? Where are you, Q? I think Tasha, <laughs> Worf turned to Tasha and it's like, what's that? I think it's a letter in the alphabet. You know, it's, it's kind of like this totally works as kind of the alternative, like first mission of the Enterprise versus going to the uh, the planet where um, apples <laughs> would appear and, and, and disappear. I am glad you underlined that because I think that is the genius of all good things. First off, the high concept of it is brilliant. But when it comes to showing up, kind of the events of um, Encounter at Farpoint, it cuts out all of the boring stuff. And it kind of reframes it in a way where you finish all good things and you're like, man, that pilot of TNG must have been pretty awesome. I should go back and watch that again, <laughs> which yeah. is the ultimate trick to pull off successfully. <laughs> What's hilarious that like you say it cuts out all the boring stuff. Uh, you mean like that was... <laughs> The original pilot was supposed to be one hour long, and then the studio yeah. was like, we want a two-hour long pilot. And so Gene Roddenberry uh, writes in all the Q stuff, and that was all the good stuff from uh, Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah, and remember, it was going to be called Meeting at Farpoint, which I almost wish they'd kept because it's so dull. It would be like almost a parody. The handshake at Farpoint. <laughs> well, it's like um, Star Trek TNG was uh, often kind of, you know cheekily uh, criticized for the bridge looking kind of like a hotel lobby and meeting at Farpoint just sounds appropriate. It might be in like the uh, hotel ballroom. Check in at Farpoint. <laughs> Check in. <laughs> exactly, okay. yes. Um, You might have one more in mind. Um, I'll just give you kind of the, the last on the list that I've got here. Uh, we just talked about it, so we don't need to go that much into more detail, but uh, Quality of Mercy, the uh, mm. season one finale of Strange New Worlds and watch... Uh, Christopher Pike gets a glimpse into how he would perhaps react to a Romulan threat against the uh, Enterprise. And um, maybe it just kind of teaches him like a different perspective than his is needed in certain situations here. Yeah, and you also in this episode have like him marrying that couple at the start of the episode. And um one of them dies by the end of the episode, and that is mirrored in Balance of Terror, of course, where Kirk is doing the same thing, and I believe the opposite member of the pair dies. Um, that also like leads me to ask now, like, I believe they worked that couple, named the same thing, into Star Trek Beyond, and I think they killed them both. They had, like, crawl, um, like, drain the life out of both of them. So it's like, is that supposed to be taken concurrently, like, time-wise, with Balance of Terror in the Kelvinverse time? I, I think it just means that this couple is doomed to die no matter what. 
Yeah, um, not a lot of free will going on in the uh, Star Trek universe. You are destined to die, no matter what. <laughs> Sorry, Tasha Yar. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Meaningless deaths for that couple. Yeah, forevermore. I did have another really fun one, actually, that is, okay. it's very brief, but it does kind of count, and that is the animated short trek, Ephraim and Dot, where you have the tardigrade popping in and out at different points, and you're seeing all the various storylines of original series. You're seeing the Naked Time, you're seeing Space Seed, you're seeing Savage Curtain. I just think like this is a really fun way to do it if you're going to do an animated kind of side cool, which is just like, go crazy, you can do anything in animation, and like grab all the fun stuff you think that doesn't really work in live action. Oh, yeah, it, that was not one that occurred to me, but that totally makes sense uh, as well. Uh, so, Cam, why don't we jump over to, like, some certain like kind of uh, side quill pitches we might have. Uh, we can go back and forth. But these are kind of maybe adventures that we think are ripe for the picking uh, that uh, w w would be kind of fun to revisit. But, uh, Cam, you go first. Well, we were talking previously about These Are the Voyages. And that is like a just it would seem an irredeemable episode. But I was like, you know what? The one thing I have a lot of faith in is the show Lower Decks. And I really do think you could do something very funny with an episode where maybe Boimler or Mariner have to make a difficult decision. And their way of doing this is to get into the, uh, into the um, holodeck and go back to the point where Riker is also in the holodeck, experiencing the events of These Are the Voyages, and basically do a commentary on that episode and point out the absurdities of it. And you could actually have this, like, three-way story connecting three different episodes of Star Trek. I think, like, this is the cleverest way to do this. So I've got an idea for a three-way uh, later on as well. And in the words of Riker, uh, do you even hear yourself? Um, now, <laughs> Cam, mm. uh, the one thing that I was thinking of, like, as soon as you brought this up, which I think is kind of a, uh, is a good idea. Uh, like, what if, just to redeem the episode these are the voyages what if it was revealed that uh boimler got a copy of what actually happened in the final oh, episode oh yeah you know and like it was revealed that whatever uh riker whatever program riker was looking at it was actually some sort of fictional rendition of it and boimler got the historical account so we don't have to deal with stupid stuff like shran the jewel thief we don't have to deal with um, the terrible death of Trip. It's more like this is how things actually unfolded here, and it could be kind of a redemption episode uh, as well. At the same time, get those voice actors back from uh, Enterprise. Yeah, like this would be an absolute blast, and I think you could actually poke fun at the absurdities of it. And now I'm like, my wheels are spinning. There has to be a reveal at the end of this. Who wrote this hollow program? The historical version or the fake version that Riker uh, got a hold of? The one that Riker got a hold of, because if they're going back and pointing out the inaccuracies and perhaps Boimler or Mariner has the actual realistic version, what, like, who was the author of the one that Riker experienced? It, it was Joe Piscopo, uh, that, that <laughs> comedian. <laughs> He's just a funny guy messing with the crew. <laughs> who, is, who is writing the book in, uh, it was the doctor, right? The doctor writing the book in Author, Author of Voyager, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, that doesn't work timeline-wise, but uh, yeah, well, okay. Maybe, maybe is Lewis Zimmerman or something like that, who had, we knew even at that period of time, he would have been uh, a big fan of you know holograms and what they can do, and maybe he was messing with a certain program from a certain era. Yeah, and you could like then rewrite the death of Trip, you could change up so many things. Like, There's very little you want to hold on to with These Are the Voyages. All of it, to me is complete garbage everyone acknowledges it as such so like you know how um it's become kind of popular in the world of multiverses and franchises that never end to try to redeem like the bad installments the way that say um avengers endgame was like hey the events of thor 2 are very important or the way that uh, <laughs> spider-man no way home was like hey remember <laughs> lizard and electro from those andrew garfield spider-man films we need to bring them back because there's more to do with those characters and to pay off the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man story. Like, forget the fact those movies are terrible. We need to, like, give weight to these stories now. We kind of have to retrofit them as something important. I think that is the best way to handle something like these are the voyages. People know what it is. 
You know what I mean? And so, like, why not try to make something out of it? I, I think if it's a... Okay, if it's just a terrible episode, you can get away with just leaving it to the ether and not touching on it again. If it's your series finale, though, and it has such a bad reputation, I think it has a worse reputation than Turnabout Intruder does. Because, yeah. again, like, Turnabout Intruder, not a very good episode, but it doesn't, like, taint the legacy of the original series. And I think that's a big difference. I think... I think there is an obligation uh, for the creators right now to find some way of redeeming that. Which episodes do you think have the worst reputation in Trek? I mean, I would say that uh, Threshold is one. I'm trying to think of others that uh, are Code just... of Honor. Code of Honor, for sure. I think I hear masks a lot, but I don't know that I would put it on the same level as those in terms of the amount you hear about them. Justice. Yeah, Justice. Does Sub Rosa enter that arena? Yeah, I'd say. I mean, you and I... We kind of like these campy things like Sub Rosa and Threshold because yeah. they're they're just so wacky, entertaining. You can't help but like it's like watching The Room, the uh, Tommy Wiseau movie. You know, it's just, you can't help but look away. Well, it's like genre hopping within Star Trek, which is always a good thing, but where it goes really, really wrong. But at the same time, we appreciate that we got these little diversions, at least you know, just to see these weird hallucinogenic fever dreams the creators had. So, Cam, you know how I mentioned I had a a three-way idea for you <laughs> yeah i'll never forget okay. it <laughs> okay uh, look i don't want to go to the uh, the time travel well too much but i think this one deserves it what if the strange new world's crew had to go uh, i guess like seven or eight years into the future and there's a side cool adventure to trials and tribulations not the trouble oh, wow. with tribbles but it's the strange new world crew inserting themselves into what was going on with the deep space nine crew as the deep space nine crew is inserting themselves into what was going on with the original series crew. And it's just like this, you have like three different crews, all it'd be like a, a French farce, all of them going through like different doors in like the same corridor, like at any given moment. And just being able to even like squeeze in like uh, little comments, like, Oh, that Bashir, like, look at those uh, wonderful, like, eyes that he had or something like that and and like it'd be all these kind of other callbacks and of course it'd have to culminate in um uh kirk getting uh uh like a ton of those triples dropped on to him through that uh big big cabinet door okay so i'm like trying to frame this in my mind you have kirk dealing with the you know the klingon imposter um, you have the DS9 crew trying to find a bomb that is going to assassinate Kirk. What are the Strange New Worlds cast doing? They're trying to figure out how to get the time crystal away from one other Arn Darvin, uh, yet mm. another older Arn Darvin who has acquired a, uh, a time crystal from Borath, and they need to grab it from him so A, they can return him to his proper time, and they can go back to their proper time as well. But in order to do that, they have to track the various different Arn Darvins. Is Charlie Brill still with us? I'd like to think so. I'm not sure, but yeah. um, I'm sure we could Grand Moff Tarkin him. <laughs> Who is, um, oh, what's the name of the, like, um, like the kind of the Harry Mudd-esque character in that episode? Cyrus Jones. Cyrano Jones. Um, Cyrano Jones. Yeah, Cyrano I was Jones. way off, sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, I think there's more to do with Cyrano Jones as well. Because, like, the thing with, like, that DS9 one is they focus so much on Arn Darvin and did so much more with that character. There's other characters within that story that you could also expand on. I think Cyrano Jones would also be a good angle. Or even pick Rando Klingon in that bar sequence or the diner or whatever where they have the big fight. Pick a character from there and blow that character up. Like, make them more of a participant as well in the Pike story. I want a line from, let's say, La'an, in which uh, they look over and see the Klingons enter the K7 bar, and she's like, wait, are those Klingons? They sure don't look like Klingons. And somebody else says, we do not discuss this with outsiders. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I think, like, there's a lot you could do. I saw the season two trailer for Strange New Worlds uh, coming up very soon. There's Klingons in there, and they don't look like the Discovery Klingons, and they don't look like the original series Klingons either. Yeah, I think, like, this one, if it's pulled off, it would be just a master stroke. Imagine if they did this, and it worked, and you had, like, the perfect uh, triple trilogy tracing to the events of Trouble with Tribbles. I think that would be absolute genius. How about... <laughs> Trilogy of Tribbles. 
That's the name of the episode. Tribology. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tribology. I, yeah, something. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out. We'll yeah. workshop it. It's going to take some efforts. Um, okay. okay. So one I had was the Dominion War. I want to know more about what the Enterprise is go- has going on during the events of the Dominion War. Because that that's like, it's during the movie events, but like, there has to be more going on. And I'd like to think that... There's, yeah? They're searching for the Fountain of Youth. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I know Insurrection is tied to the Dominion War, but like, there has to be a moment where like, the Enterprise has to go do something in the Dominion War, right? Like, even if it's just like... Okay, we know you're important, but we need you to run this one side mission to help out the cause of the Dominion War. It's kind of important, guys. Can you please make this happen? I think you could do an incredible story. Maybe it has to be animated. I don't know. I don't care. Uh, I guess you could write it as a graphic novel, but I probably wouldn't read that. But just the idea of the Enterprise crew going, meeting up. Worf is on DS9. You could even have the characters intermingling with the DS9 crew because Worf is there as the connective tissue. He's the glue that holds them together. This would be so much fun. And I just, I've always found it a little baffling the way they completely sidestepped it. I get it for the movies. Uh, You don't want general audiences to be confused, but it's the sort of thing that just in terms of storytelling is confusing. How about there's a big poker tournament at Quarks and Worf has to teach the <laughs> Deep Space Nine crew how to play poker in order to beat the uh, his old TNG crew. Just some friendly rivalry, right? I mean, this sounds like a very fun episode that I would enjoy a lot. Um, kind of like a, you know, take me out to the Hollow Suite breather episode that's a lot of fun and very yeah. charming. But I would like to see kind of the... Uh, like the kind of like the serious Cisco in Battle Commander mode talking to Picard. Like, I just think the dramatic fireworks that could come out of that would be spectacular. Well, consider the fact it's been like six years since they last encountered each other, and it it started off pretty icy, and then it began to thaw ever so much by the end of Emissary. But I think, you know, I, I really wish we did get like yet another encounter between Cisco and Picard. Now that I think about it, it does feel like that should have been a bookend that arrived at the end. I don't know where you place it. It can't be like in the fire caves. <laughs> Picard beams in and it's like, Cisco, good job, just as he dives into the fire pit. Uh, that wouldn't work. <laughs> but I mean, the idea of Picard acknowledging Cisco's efforts and seeing this very like, you know, angry, resentful commander who didn't want this assignment on DS9 and how they helped save uh, save their section of the galaxy. It would have been cool to have a little bit of a head nod moment, you know, Picard to Cisco acknowledging that he has kind of joined the greats. Okay, uh, well, Cam, I've got more of a short trek pitch for you. It's not the greatest short trek, but it'll be one that you and I would no doubt be fascinated by. But uh, what if it's a Laris short trek, and it's where Gary Seven hands off his Earth assignment to Laris, and we just follow this prequel <laughs> and try to make sense of why this Romulan woman was in 21st century Los Angeles trying to watch over one Rene Picard. Uh, I am 100% in favor of this, although I do wonder if we have reached a point now. Okay, the original Assignment Earth, kind of a confusing episode. It doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> it's a real head-scratcher. And then we brought you know that species back the, uh, for um, Picard Season 2. Also... Very head-scratching and bizarre. Will a third attempt iron it out, or are we just going to settle into the fact that the supervisors are just doomed to be in very confusing storylines? Well, Cam, I'll tell you what actually makes this a side cool here, is that, uh, of course, like, Renee Picard uh, is a young woman, and and so uh, the reason that uh, Gary Seven is handing off his assignments, Earth, to Laris is because she needs to watch over this French woman from her birth, which would be right around the mid-90s, wouldn't you say? Right mm-hmm. around the time that the Voyager crew would be visiting uh, 1996 Los Angeles there. And I think we could have some wacky adventures in which we Forrest Gump Laris and um, Gary Seven uh, into Los Angeles on rollerblades. Oh my god. Or or we make them the characters that were on rollerblades that bumped into yes. Chakotay and Janeway. <laughs> Uh, just not the, uh, remember there's like, um, white supremacists that kidnapped Chakotay, um, 
at yeah. a certain point. Yeah, or no, we was won't it do that. Bellana Torres? Uh, Bellana Torres, and I don't remember who else was with her. That Yeah, I remember her for sure. They were commenting on how you sure look different. <laughs> that was a very questionable decision for like a lighthearted, fun episode of uh, Star Trek Voyager. Uh, not the one yeah. you would necessarily make uh, now, but uh, I do think like there's something fun to do there. Now, are uh, Wesley and Corey Soong uh, traveling back in time to visit uh, these adventures as well? Well, they need to hold the entire universe apart uh, or mm. together. You know, yeah. So. Look, it, uh, it could be yet another excuse to recast Captain Braxton, I think, for the uh, the second or third time at this point. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think, like, you could do more with Captain Braxton. It's um, maybe not now. Maybe it's too late. But I do think they could have <laughs> done more. <laughs> maybe going into, you know, Star Trek 2024, we don't need Captain Braxton references. But uh, uh, sign me up for them if they do happen. Like uh, Henry Starling, I thought Ed Beagley Jr. is actually a very effective villain, and like he he literally felt like dangerous, and you don't always get that with your villains from Star Trek. No, that is very true, and yeah, because he just got a like. What happened to him at the end of that episode? Did he die or did he just get like, I don't know, space arrested or something? Uh, is either like, Brack? What happened to him? That's a very. I think he died. Did he die? Okay, at least there's like resolution to that character. So uh, that's yeah. like that's what I gathered. Like I didn't gather that there was more like Starling story to tell. Right. It's not like Rasmussen where you're like, whatever happened to that dude? <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a good point. Um, oh, what's that actor's name? I, how am I blanking on? Uh, is it like Elliot something or? Uh... No, it's uh, Matt Frewer. Matt Frewer. I was very close. Um, like he's still kicking around. Bring yeah. back uh, Rasmussen. Oh, and you could, like, pair him up with uh, Dr. Jillian Taylor. Catherine Hicks is still around as well. We never really found out what happened with her in the future either. What is the connection between the two of them? He escapes from time prison and uh, he goes to the 23rd century to learn about whales. Yeah, I think that's about what you have to do because time travel is involved for sure, which works well because it's him. But uh, I guess it's like a whale problem or um, is it like it's a uh... whale of a problem? <laughs> <laughs> There's the episode title right there. Um, is it like cetacean ops related so we could set it on a starship? Yes, he's getting into a wetsuit and uh, taking a deep dive. <laughs> and we have to have a Free Willy reference in there. At some point, the whale leaps over him in slow motion as he raises a hand in the air. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Cam, okay, what's next up on your list? So it's kind of loosely tied to your supervisor pitch but not really uh just the idea of like a very important space launch and i thought it could be really cool to do kind of a trials and tribulations like story with a bit of time travel going on of the launch of the nx01 from enterprise because i feel like at the time of enterprise when it's on the air and those four seasons the show's kind of an embarrassment a little bit the ratings aren't spectacular fans aren't thrilled with it it goes off the air with a whimper but i feel like in the time since enterprise has been completely reevaluated and become a real treasured aspect of star trek lore and it just doesn't have the connections tying it to the other shows the way that like voyager and ds9 and tng do or the original series for that matter so, like, I would love it if you had characters, maybe the Strange New Worlds crew, I don't know, going back in time to the launch of the NX-01 tied to the events of Broken Bow. You could have, you know, some trials and tribulations, you know, effects going on where you see the original Enterprise crew boarding the ship. I think this could be really fun. What would be kind of the, the, uh, the hook of the episode? You know, like, they're, they're trailing the ship. Uh, is Oh, you know what? Like, obviously, it's the Temporal Cold War. Yeah, you know, it's a Suliban, yeah. It's still very messy. Yeah, so there's some maybe some sort of Suliban, you know, future guy adventure that they get caught up with, and that brings them to the launch of the NX-01 there. And they, they need to ensure, oh, they need to ensure that Klingon first contact does in fact take place, and they return that body because uh, constant inter interference from the Suliban. Yeah, like, I'm not feeling creative enough to come up with, like, what the specific problem is, because I feel like the Suleban planting a bomb on NX-01 is incredibly derivative, and so I'm not going to pitch that. But it is some sort of threat that would prevent the NX-01 from going into space and making first contact with the Klingons, and that would, you know, help the Suleban cause. And also, 
this is getting really fan geeky and frankly uh, would never happen in an actual episode of Strange New Worlds, but they reveal the identity of future guy at last. And then at the very end, Riker says, pause. And um, <laughs> we realize he's been the holodeck the entire time during the events of No Win Scenario. While everybody else was hanging out in Los Angeles 10 forward, uh, he was in holodeck 2 uh, experiencing this from uh, Picard season 3. <laughs> and then we zoom out again and we just see the words the end and a book closing and me walking away <laughs> content <laughs> no no moriarty walking away content <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> okay okay i like that i like that um i got one for you this is a little bit heavier um maybe it's a bit of a side quill to in the pale moonlight in which uh it's 25th century modern picard era and, and some federation journalists uh is tasked with piecing together how the Romulans, Romulans were actually a part of the Dominion War. Maybe there's some new technology that reveals that uh, Isolinear Rod was indeed a fake, as mm. the Romulan senator senator noted. Um, look, so I, I say uh, do some holodeck recreations, and then this journalist figures like there's a lot of things that just don't add up. It gives us an excuse to have Garrick back in a sequel. It gives us like one of Cisco's greatest stuff. Maybe they, maybe they uncovered the uh, logs, and that just serves as kind of Cisco as the voiceover throughout this one, because of course he deleted the log, but maybe it was uncovered somehow from this Federation journalist. And this is kind of the Star Trek hook, though. You know, you get this info. So what do you do with this amid this tumultuous era? You know, we got the Romulans, um, they're now refugees, they've kind of turned into a much weaker form of themselves, but they're still a threat with what they do have. I think there's a lot of like moral questions that could be debated here. I actually think this would be a really good idea. I don't know what form it would take. Uh, this We may just be pitching like a series of webisodes <laughs> that we are going to make one day, but um, like I do always thought it was like a really interesting concept of like exploring the events of In the Pale Moonlight from the Romulan point of view, like back home trying to make sense of this, because we're really just getting Cisco's account of making all this happen. But like there must have been a lot of confusion and just like trying to unravel the pieces of what is going on and that moment where they really realize like, oh my God, like we entered this war for very questionable reasons. It just feels like that would be a whole political thriller unto itself that would, could introduce so many different characters. You could frankly do like a whole season of like Star Trek Romulan just set during the Dominion War of them trying to make sense of why they're being drawn into this war. Well, it, it it's, it's ripe for the picking, you know? Um, Star Trek colon Romulan, uh, M-Dominion War. <laughs> Part one. Part one. <laughs> uh, I'm picking on Mission Impossible only because I really like it. <laughs> exactly. Or you put the uh, just a Roman numeral and then you have part one. <laughs> or like the uh, fast, uh, fast X and it seems like what's, yes. what's going to be Fast <laughs> X Part 2. <laughs> okay. Cam, uh, do you have any more? I've got, I've got like another one that I, I think might be fun to share and maybe kind of uh, smaller ones. But uh, I don't know. Do, do you have another big one that you want to share? I do and I maybe... Maybe we need to workshop this one a little bit because to me, okay. one of the things that I was talking about Enterprise and how I just feel like so much of the iconography of that show has become important and it's not kind of baked into the overall universe as well as some of the other shows. And a character who I think would work really well on Strange New Worlds, we've both, I think, mentioned this in the past, would be Shran. And I thought it'd be really interesting to like introduce Shran but tie it to a story that was going on within the world of Enterprise. And... I'm just like trying to think you would not want to do the jewel thief stuff, but I'm like wondering if you would want to tie it to the events of the Zindi war, which he is kind of present for in bits and pieces. So it would be interesting to kind of fill in those gaps as to what he's up to, but you could also even take it back earlier to the whole listening post and kind of the plot, uh, you know, kind of the conspiracies involving, you know, the Andorians and the Vulcans. I'm not sure which would be the better angle, but I think it would be a really interesting way to examine the Andorian culture and the character of Shran in his past. It just feels like the character... Okay, like, we know that the plan was to bring him on as a regular for Season 5 of Enterprise, and it just seems like such a lost opportunity that we never got, along with kind of following the Romulan War that they'd been building up to there. You know, um, look, put put Jeffrey Combs in that makeup. 
he he's gonna look like uh an andorian no matter what and look maybe you can say like a hundred years have passed andorians live a long time too so i yeah. i would love much more of an exploration gives those sorts of nuances as well and maybe there's stuff going on with the enar too I, you know i i, I would love a, a deeper dive and using you know shran as the jumping off point here yeah you could even introduce like one of hammer's um ancestors like that's a way to kind of tie it back to that character if you're introducing enar uh i just think like there's there's more to do with shran there's more to do with the andorians and I just feel like Strange New Worlds is the show to probably do it. I'm trying to, it, yes, but then the, the the best chance they had to do that was with the uh, chief engineer that they had in season one. Maybe they'll get a Andorian engineer in season three. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't uh, know. So, Kim, the, the last one that I, I wanted to throw out there, though, is uh, you recall the uh, the iconic classic season seven TNG episode Parallels. And all these various different, like, universes. Um, there, There's one in particular that stood out in which we see uh, Riker from <laughs> this dystopian Borg-dominated universe that he was trying to escape from with his crew. He did not want to go back to the point that uh, eventually, uh, well, the Enterprise-D blows up. So after that moment, I say the camera cuts back to that universe and that's where we're exploring some sort of resistance and maybe it's being led by um uh, you know there's got to be like a legacy character how about legacy shelby you sure. know in which uh, she's leading the resistance and they have to decide this is a star trek hook of it all they have to decide whether to inject themselves with some sort of borg virus and it kind of severs the entire collective but these drones they all effectively die so you have to weigh whether it's worth killing trillions to ensure the lives of the few that do remain there and uh everyone has to be under the age of 25 for some reason um yeah like i think this would be uh very cool um hmm yeah like it's funny that you mentioned parallels riker because i actually had a note about parallels riker i had a pitch for him on a lower decks episode where they have to team up with parallels oh, wow. riker so i think you both we both were completely inspired by that character but i like your approach where yes it is more of like you know something set within that tng universe and this would be justice for shelby as well <laughs> shelby was treated horribly in Picard season three yeah. to have like this alternate Shelby and the two of them like battling against the Borg and getting this could almost be in a way almost like a um uh like kind of like the Terminator universe where you see those flashes to like the Skynet ruled future in Terminator the idea that was just glimpsed in parallels seeing a like bigger universe built around the Borg I think this could be like very cool and like something that like if you were to do it as like a whole season or series, it would be very depressing. But as a single episode, it would be fantastic. It'd be, uh, what do they call those uh, Marvel cartoon episodes? Like the what ifs or something? Yeah, what if, yeah, that was the classic comic book line that, yeah, was the animated show as well. Maybe what we've been pitching this entire time, Cam, is a series of what ifs. <laughs> a series of what if comic books. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, th th look, uh, I, okay. Out of all the ones that we've talked about, though, what do you think has the biggest chance of actually turning into something? Well, the problem is we're dealing with time in a lot of these circumstances where it's mm -hmm. like, well, I would love to see the Enterprise crew, uh, you know, meet up with the DS9 crew during the Dominion War. <laughs> that would not really work now. Um, I think th the ones that would work the best, frankly, are the ones dealing with, I mean, probably anything involving like the lower deck stuff. I mean, I think like the these are the voyages and the lower decks people visiting that episode. I don't even think that's necessarily impossible. I think that might even happen at some point in the future. I was thinking um, that that was probably the most practical one because I was also thinking about like as much fun as Strange New Worlds dropping in on Trials and Tribulations. I think uh, just sure. it could be prohibitively complex and expensive uh, to do so. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I yeah. don't think the, the same challenges might exist with, say, Lower Decks. I did have a minor one noted of, you know, we kind of resolved the Pike being haunted by his future story in season one. But what if he got a glimpse at Sam Kirk's future and was haunted by that in season two? <laughs> Boom. Uh, what if, Cam? <laughs> what if, indeed? What if, yes. 
<laughs> so, Kev, on that note, uh, we're going to be picking up on Strange New World Season 2 in one week's time. I am pumped to have this show back, and we'll be doing uh, week-to-week reviews, except for that one week. You and I are going to be in Las Vegas. Hopefully, we get the chance to... Um, I don't know, somebody brings, like, a computer with them, and we can hook it up to, like, a hotel TV, and we could have, like, kind of a group watch. Uh, We did that last year with the season three premiere of Mm -hmm. Star Trek Lower Decks, and we had a blast as a, uh, what was it, maybe half a dozen people uh, all crammed into a very hot Las Vegas hotel room to watch that episode together. That is the only time I've ever watched an episode of Lower Decks with another human being. (laughs) Oh... Keep shooting for the stars, kid. (laughs) That's so depressing. Anyways, um, of course, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod or leave a review for us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. V is in Viridian 3 from the point of view of the aliens seeing the Enterprise saucer crash down on their planet, Smith. And you can find me at Reportin, that's R-E-P, as in Paradise Lost, from the perspective of the Changelings on that Deep Space Nine episode. O-R-T-O-N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Star Trek colon Romulan, uh, M-Dominion War. <laughs> Part one. Part one. <laughs>